0: Hello, and welcome to the PLUS podcast. My name is Marianne Freiberger. At this time of year in England, we are all very likely to check our weather apps on our phones to see if we stay dry when we leave the house. Now, typically what you see on a weather app are percentage chances. So the app might tell you that there's a 60% chance of rain or a 10% chance of snow, for example. These percentages aren't the result of guesswork. They are there because the people who run the computer models that produce the forecasts have run the model not just once, but a whole bunch of times, each time with slightly different starting conditions, to produce a whole bunch of forecasts. And if in 60% of this bunch of forecasts, it's predicted to rain, then that's the 60% that the weather App gives you. Now, this technique is known as ensemble forecasting. And as we will find out in this podcast, there's a good reason for why it's necessary. At a recent event organized by the Newton Gateway to Mathematics in Cambridge, we were very lucky to meet the person who pioneered ensemble forecasting. His name is Tim Palmer, he's a Royal Society research professor in climate physics at the University of Oxford, and he's a leading expert in climate science. In this podcast, Tim tells us about his pretty groundbreaking idea of ensemble forecasting, but he also tells us about what the uncertain business of weather and climate forecasting has taught him about uncertainty in general as it crops up in many other areas of life and the world. This is something that he explores in his new book called The Primacy of Doubt. He also tells us why he thinks it's high time we had something equivalent to CERN for climate modeling. CERN, of course, being the multinational, highly sophisticated and very expensive research center dedicated to fundamental physics. But before we find out what Tim means by his call for a CERN for the climate change, let's go back to ensemble forecasting. We started off by asking him why it was necessary for him to come up with the idea in the first place.
1: Well, yeah, so, I mean, when we make predictions um, in general terms, um, I mean, everybody knows this, predictions are uncertain. Uh, It's quite difficult to forecast the future with any degree of certainty. Um, But the interesting thing is that, well, this is typically true of, of all, systems that we predict whether it's the economy uh the weather um pandemics you know and so on we're dealing with with mathematically what would be called nonlinear systems and the interesting property of non-linear, non-linear systems is that um the growth of uncertainty in a forecast is not the same for every forecast so there are certain conditions, if you like, or certain situations where we can actually make forecasts, we can in principle at least make forecasts with quite a lot of confidence, um, because we know that during those periods, the system is relatively sort of stable, which means that small uncertainties don't grow, especially rapidly. Conversely, there are other occasions where uncertainties can kind of grow explosively, Um, and destroy any sort of very specific prediction, you know, almost from from the start. The question is, can we, you know, can we determine ahead of time, you know, before we make the prediction or at the time we make the prediction, can we tell whether we are in a predictable state or the system that we're studying is in a predictable state or whether it's in a very unpredictable state. And that's where this ensemble, prediction idea comes from, uh, instead of just running a single forecast, we would run multiple uh, forecasts, varying, you know, what we consider to be the most important uncertain, you know, parts of the initial conditions or uncertain parameters in the models or that sort of thing. And, you know, just just look and see, do all the ensemble members uh, agree with each other? Do they all start diverging rapidly away from one another? Um, So this gives you a kind of heads up, if you like, before you even begin, uh, whether this is going to be a a, a kind of a reliable forecast or a a very kind of uncertain forecast, let's say. Um, And there's all sorts of implications about, you know, how we then make decisions based on those forecasts that arise from that.
0: Mm -hmm. So if we're thinking um, of a concrete example, like the weather, for example. Yeah. In very simple terms. So is, the, is it the case that you would, so you start off with some initial conditions about current temperature, pressure, wind, or whatever might go into the model that forecasts the weather. Um, do you then run the model for a set of different initial conditions so you get an ensemble of forecasts?
1: Yes, that's right. We, we would, um, you know, when you take, you know, when, when, when you make measurements of the weather, um you know it can either be with you know thermometers and barometers and things although these days most of the measurements are made from space-based satellites but in any case whether no matter what what type of measurement you're talking about there's always a little bit of uncertainty in in that measurement you know there's also the problem that the model itself is always a a kind of a finite representation of the atmosphere. The atmosphere is a very, very complex system and, and that, that creates uncertainties as well. So what you do is um, you, you create a, an ensemble of initial conditions, each of which is consistent with the observations, but they all differ very slightly from one another. Um, and then I should say also when you run the model, the model itself, um, although the the underlying equations from a from a say strictly mathematical point of view are what we would call deterministic equations, there's there's no uncertainty in the in the underlying equations, but when you try to code these equations in a form that a computer can understand and and sort of uh, and try to solve, then inevitably that process of making them you know computational introduces uncertainties. And so a second source of uncertainty, uh, in addition to the observational uncertainties are actually the uncertainties in the computational representation of the underlying equations. Uh, And again, these are all fairly small. I mean, it's not like these are mega big uncertainties, but in a chaotic system, which is basically what we're dealing with, um, these small uncertainties, you know, this is a sort of the butterfly effect, you know, that, that flaps of butterflies' wings can have big effects. And um, so these small initial uncertainties and small model equation uncertainties um grow with time, um, and and eventually they become large. But but the point about ensemble forecasting is that the the time at which these uncertainties become large varies from one starting condition to another. And that's a consequence of the non-linearity of the equations. Uh, And so the ensemble kind of tells you how far ahead you can go before the uncertainty completely sort of swamps what you can do.
0: Mm. And that's because you check how close the different members of the ensemble of forecasts are? Is that how you do it? You look how close they remain and as long they're close. Well,
1: you know, a, ve- a very, I mean, yeah. I mean, although, it, it, you know, what what many of us are used to these days, which is a kind of practical uh, tool, if you like, um, is you, you just calculate from the ensemble the number. For example, if you wanted to know if it's going to rain in Cambridge uh, the day after tomorrow, you would count the number of ensemble members where it's raining, you know, so typically an ensemble might have 50 members. And if in, let's say 10 of the 50 members, it's raining. So uh, then a simple way of representing that is to say that there is a, uh, you know, 10 out of 50 or 20%, you know, 20 out of 100 or 20% chance of rain. And that's what you see on your weather app. When you when you look at a weather app and it says 20% chance of rain, what it means is in the ensemble that they've run, um, it, you know, in like 10 out of 50 or 20 out of 100 ensemble members, it's raining. That's what it means. So that's a kind of a simple way of uh, giving you a very kind of simple heads up on on the um, confidence, if you like, you can have in that prediction.
0: Okay. And you already mentioned that this kind of technique can be used in other um, contexts. And you've also just written a book which talks about uncertainties in all kinds of areas and what we have learned from weather and climate. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the book's called The Primacy of Doubt. um, And the phrase comes from uh, a biography by James Glick of the great theoretical physicist Richard Feynman. And uh, Glick says about Feynman that he believed in the primacy of doubt not as a blemish on our ability to know, but as the essence of knowing. And that really does resonate very strongly with my own kind of philosophy that, um, you know, we often perhaps think of doing, you know, risk analyses and uncertainty analyses as a kind of afterthought. But the truth of the matter is that um, we should be treating uncertainty as, as, you know, as important a variable as anything else and sort of integrated into our thinking. And and my strong belief is that um, from a a theoretical point of view, we can actually understand the way the world works. And and I have several chapters in the book about this, um, for example, in relation to quantum physics. Um, I think we can understand better the way the world works by trying to really dig down deeply into understanding why systems are uncertain and what that kind of means at a deep level. But at a practical level, the ensemble technique. um, I mean, I. I I mean, one area where it's certainly been used a lot is in COVID prediction. Um, You know, a number of different um, epidemiological groups have developed um, COVID prediction models, and um, you know, we now have. um, You know, as as COVID developed, (coughs) people realised that the best way. To um, offer advice to uh, to the to policymakers to governments around the world about what type of policy to implement, you know, i.e., do we want to restrict people's interaction or do we want to just kind of carry on and hope hope everything would be fine um, was best uh, informed by not just taking one of the models but by kind of pooling together all the information from all the models into what you know, I would call a multi-model ensemble, um, which is by the way, a technique which is typically used in the IPCC climate change assessment reports. They're based on multi-model ensembles from different groups around the world. Um, So, um, and and of course, the importance of, of an ensemble is that it not only tells you, if you like the most likely outcome, uh, you know, for example, of of number of hospitalizations or deaths or whatever, but it gives you a, a sort of what you might say is a reasonable worst case scenario for what what might happen, and of course that is important for for policy. It, it, it's not just about the most likely prediction; it's kind of what what could really you know in a worst case happen. Because, and I think that that clearly did influence for example, here in the UK, I think that really did influence our policy. The idea that, you know, the NHS would run out of uh, of beds and, uh, you know, people would be sort of left on the streets almost, I mean, was too awful to contemplate. So a lot of the policy on COVID was was predicated on, on ensuring that worst case scenario didn't happen. And yeah, ensembles are kind of vital um, to be able to quantify that type of worst case scenario so that's one place where things have have become well developed um in the book i sort of discuss things like uh economic prediction and um uh and actually also um conflict prediction trying to um you know as to to to, to predict uh you know the the trouble spots in the world
0: yeah yeah and everything seems to be happening right now economic yeah, that's and, right. and climate change of course, and thinking about climate change. Um, so there are, just as there are weather models, there are climate models. Um, and you've called for a CERN for climate modeling or climate change. Can you just say what you mean by that and why? why? Well,
1: yes, yes. I mean, we, we <clears throat> there's no doubt um, that cli- the climate is, our, our global temperatures are warming, the climate's changing, the temperatures are increasing. And that's due to our emissions of, of carbon dioxide. So that that's kind of without any kind of doubt at all these days. <laughs> um, but, you know, increasingly, people want to know more than just that. They want to know what actually will be the climate of their region, uh, you know, in the coming, say, 50 years. Um, and, you know, you could think of two two types of of weather which are both consistent with global warming. Uh, One would be kind of hotter, you know, more heat waves, more drought. Um, But conversely, you could imagine another region being dominated by stormy, you know, weather which which produces flooding, the sort of thing we saw in um, Pakistan, for example, this summer. And a country that is looking to adapt, you know, to make its society, more resilient to climate change so adapt to climate change i mean these are kind of order one questions are are you know is my is my um is the climate of my country going to be you know hotter and drier or wetter and stormier it's kind of you know hard to imagine a more basic order one question the problem is if you look at the uh, ensemble this multi model ensemble of current generation climate models um you you find and you can you can see this in if you look at ipcc reports you'll see you know you, this is very clearly illustrated that the models just don't agree you know we can't really be sure even of the sign you know whether the cli- whether the precipitation rainfall if you like is 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 getting more or less you know so this is a kind of unsatisfactory state of affairs and we can kind of pin it down to um the The fact that the models are pretty low resolution, uh, certainly compared to weather forecast models. I mean, you mentioned weather forecast models and climate models. Probably the biggest difference between a weather forecast model and a climate model is that a weather forecast model is run with a grid of a few kilometers. Whereas a climate model may have a grid of, you know, 100 or more kilometers.
0: The grid is basically the resolution at which you depict the Earth and its atmosphere and the oceans.
1: Yes, that's right. I mean, the the underlying equations, like the Navier-Stokes equations, which which govern fluid motion, so the atmosphere and the oceans, are, you know, they describe every little whirl and eddy uh, down to kind of infinitesimally small scales, You, you, uh, you know. And that's the nature of turbulence. You have these cascade of scales which goes down to, to small scales so in the atmosphere you know you, you have big cyclonic low pressure systems but embedded in that are clouds and embedded in the clouds are sub-cloud turbulence but a climate model can't resolve all of that detail and any, anything that gets less than 100 kilometers has to be represented in a in a rather kind of semi-crude semi-empirical way with a simple formula which everyone knows is not you know is not is not an accurate but you know you have a computer and that's the best you can do so um i you know myself and a number of colleagues have been arguing that this is a kind of problem that um you know that, you know we we know the navier stuff. it's not like we don't know the physics we know the physics at play it's just we can't solve the equations with the level of accuracy that we would like So our proposal is to create an international uh, center, which would be an an institute uh, with with multinational funding, which would enable the really top of the range supercomputers. So nowadays we're in what's called exascale, 10 to the power 18 uh, calculations per second. Um, But, one of these would be dedicated to climate change, um, you know, hundred percent dedicated to climate change. Um, it's it's not something that you know, even a rich country like the United States is is doing or is is able to do. Um, but you know with a consortium of, of countries, for sure we can we can do that. And calling it a CERN for climate change is really just making the point that, you know again the large hadron collider which found the higgs boson you know was not affordable uh, by any country including the us the us canceled its own uh, you know high energy collider uh, because it said it couldn't afford it so you know that's a great example of what can be achieved if we pool resources pool human and financial resources internationally and i i think that climate change is such a a kind of a pressing problem an urgent problem these days uh, we need to kind of go beyond just saying that the earth is warming. We need to be much more clear about it what what it means at at the regional scale because this is going to affect all sorts of decisions on, as I say, on infrastructure, on agriculture, on health, on the built environment, on you know disease, everything is is that is critically dependent on what climate change means at the regional level. And at the moment we're kind of looking at the world through a very blurred glass with our course resolution models and so on. So that's what, you know, we're calling for. And um, I hope- Well, it's in-
0: astonishing it doesn't already exist, really. You know,
1: exactly, that- um, you, you, you might think it's a kind of a no-brainer and actually in terms of cost, it's not actually that expensive. It's kind of comparable with a satellite mission or something like that, which is not, you know, we can afford those. Um, So I'm hopeful, you know, it'll happen, but um, it's like all (laughs) these things, you know, science and politics don't often mix as, as well as you would like, and there are political issues.
0: And that's it for this edition of the PLUS podcast. Tim Palmer's book, The Primacy of Doubt, is published by Oxford University Press And you can find out more about weather and climate modeling on PLUS by going to plus.maths.org and searching for weather or climate. Thanks for listening and bye bye.